Hello, I'm Gary Fogle, and welcome to Kentucky Sports Memories. Thank you for joining me today. You know, the Kentucky Derby, which is supposed to be run on the first Saturday in May, is running in a few weeks. And obviously, that's because of the coronavirus. It's changed a lot of things in our world and certainly changed a lot of things in sports. So it's coming up in a few weeks. So since the Derby is just around the corner, I thought I'd do a show on horse racing. And let me say this. If you are a person who's not a big fan of horse racing, you don't follow it, I would ask that you stay with me because I think you'll find this show interesting. I will not try to do so much hardcore X's and O's, things of that nature about horse racing, and we're not going to handicap the upcoming derby because that's not what this show is about. It's about Kentucky sports memory. So I'm going to look at two horses in the past who were uh, really intriguing and really caught the attention of the country and possibly of the entire world. And I'm going to start with Mind That Bird, who won the Kentucky Derby back in 2009. And if you like an underdog story, a Cinderella story, this horse is it. So stay with me. I think you'll find it intriguing. So a little bit about Mind That Bird in case you don't follow the Derby or don't remember what happened back in 2009. He was a gelding, one of nine geldings to win the Kentucky Derby, and he's the second to win it since 1929, so it's not many of them have won the Derby. And for those of you who don't follow horse racing and you're going, I don't even know what a gelding is. Well, let me explain that very briefly. To put it delicately, a gelding is a male horse who's had a surgical procedure so that he can no longer father offspring. And it's really done to take the aggressiveness out of him. As you know, thoroughbreds are very high-strung animals, and especially the males. And oftentimes the males are so high-strung, they're very difficult to train. So if they're gelded, it takes a lot of that aggressiveness out of the horse. It doesn't take away their talent. It doesn't take away their potential. just calms them down a little bit so they're more manageable. You might ask, well, then why not geld all the horses or most of the horses? What, what determines when a horse gets gelded? And, and being aggressive is one of them, but not all aggressive male horses get gelded. If they come from a very strong bloodline, a very proven bloodline where their value is going to be in breeding later in life, you wouldn't geld that horse. So a horse that gets gelded is one who's not seen as being of great potential in the breeding shed after his racing career. So anyway, that was the situation with Mind That Bird. He was gelded at a young age, but he did go on to win the Kentucky Derby. A little background on him as well. He was originally purchased at the bargain basement price of $9,500 back in 2007 when he was a yearling, when he was a year old. 2007, $9,500 purchase. That's a bargain price in horse racing. But there was nothing about him. The, his bloodline wasn't outstanding. The, the looks of him weren't outstanding. So there was nothing about him that you would go, oh, wow, this horse is worth a lot of money. He was taken to Canada by the group that owned him. So he went to Canada. He won four of six races as a two-year-old. Had an outstanding start, very impressive. So therefore, a group out of New Mexico purchased him for $400,000. So this $9,500 purchase in 2007, a year later, he sells for $400,000. <laughs> That's quite a profit that uh, these original owners made on their investment. So these new owners from New Mexico want to see exactly what they have on their hands. So they 
Enter Mind That Bird in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, the top race of the year for two-year-olds, and he runs last. So obviously he doesn't show much potential, potential there. But the trainer, who is Chip Woolley, says he needs a different running style. We don't need to put him up near the lead. We need to take him back off the pace, let him make one strong run, and he will be a different horse. So Woolley takes him back to New Mexico, and there he begins training him for his three-year-old campaign, and he preps for the Kentucky Derby by running second in the Borderland Derby, and the Borderland Derby is run at Sunland Park in New Mexico, not considered one of your premier derby prep races. Many of you probably never heard of it. Uh, Sunland Park, by the way, is located in New Mexico on the border right next to Texas and Mexico. So it's right there in that little corner. That's where it's located. Anyway, runs second in the Borderland Derby. Later, he runs fourth in the Sunland Derby, also at Sunland Park, obviously. So he runs in two derby prep races that many people have never heard of, but that's how they prep him for the Kentucky Derby. And Woolley thinks he's got something on his hands there. He thinks he's got something legit. And we'll talk to Woolley here in just a few minutes. So he goes from there and goes on to the Kentucky Derby, where, of course, he wins it. He pulls off the huge upset. Not only wins it, but wins it by six and three-quarter lengths. It's the biggest margin of victory in more than 60 years in the Kentucky Derby. He went off at 50 to 1 odds, so his $2 wager paid $103.20, and that is tied for third longest shot to ever win the Kentucky Derby. Uh, the longest shot to ever win it was Donnerail in 1913, was at 99 to 1. Second longest shot was Country House last year in 2019 at 65 to 1. But uh, Country House, as you may recall, did not cross under the finish line first. Maximum security actually crossed into the finish line first, but maximum security was taken down because of interference in the stretch. That awarded the win to Country House, but yet Country House didn't actually cross on the line first. Yet he's credited for the win, and at 65 to 1, second longest shot in Derby history. So getting back to Mind That Bird's Derby, I'm gonna let you hear the stretch call, and Tom Durkin has the stretch call. He's one of the greatest horse race announcers of all time. I love his work, but you can tell he got surprised by Mind That Bird and him taking the lead in the stretch. Let's pick up the stretch call with Dirk. As the field turns for home, top of the stretch, it's still joining the dance with a tenuous lead. Regal Ransom and Pioneer of the Nile strikes the front just outside the eight hole. Okay, I'm going to interrupt Durkin's call for just a second because just as soon as Durkin says the eighth pole, that's when Mind That Bird takes over the lead along the rail. But listen to how long it takes before Durkin recognizes Mind That Bird. And when he does recognize him, he hesitates. You'll hear a hesitation in his voice before he calls his name because I'm sure Durkin was like shocked and maybe even second-guessing himself before he said his name thinking, this, this really can't be Mind That Bird because he's not supposed to be in contention at this point. So we'll pick it up from here once Mind That Bird has taken the lead and you'll see how long it takes for Durkin to recognize him and his hesitation in his voice before calling his name. Musket Man is coming hard down the side of the track and Papa comes right there too. Down toward the inside, coming on through. That is uh, Mind That Bird now is coming on to take the lead as they come down to the finish. That is spectacular. 
spectacular upset. Mind that bird has won the Kentucky Derby. An impossible result here. So again, Tom Durkin, one of the great horse race announcers of all time, you could tell he was taken by surprise when Mind That Bird took the lead and went on to win it. And obviously it shocked a lot of people, not just Tom Durkin. He wins the Derby. A lot of people think it's a fluke. It's one of those things where, oh, he had a great race this one time and one time only. And he did have a really good trip. His jockey, Calvin Burrell, was able to get him down along the rail and pretty much had a dream trip every time he needed a hole to open. It seemed like it did, so he didn't get blocked, able to take that trip along the rail and win the Derby. But as far as being a fluke, he went from there and he finished second in the Preakness Stakes. He finished third in the Belmont Stakes. So he was still in contention in the next two races of the Triple Crown. However, he did not win again after winning the Kentucky Derby. He was winless in nine starts following the Derby. After running third in the Belmont Stakes, he went on, ran in the West Virginia Derby, where he was third. Then he was sixth in a stakes race out the west, ninth in the Breeders' Cup Classic. And at that point, the owners thought, well, maybe we need a change here. We need to change trainers. So they handed him off to Wayne Lucas, Hall of Fame trainer Wayne Lucas, took over his training, but uh, he didn't do any better under Lucas. His last four races of his career with Lucas as his trainer, he finished 8th, 5th, 7th, and 10th. And the Breeders' Cup mile was his last race of his career where he finished 10th in that race, and then he was retired. That was his career, but he did have that one great moment where he won the Kentucky Derby, and that put him on the horse racing map as the third longest shot, tied for the third longest shot in Kentucky Derby history as far as going to the winner's circle. These days, mind that bird is retired. He, since he's a gelding, he's not breeding, so he's just kind of hanging out in the pasture, eating grass, maybe smoking an occasional cigar every now and then, and enjoying the retirement life. But uh, he is retired and is 14 years old, living his retirement life in New Mexico, where he got his start on the Derby Trail. Chip Woolley is an interesting story. He trained in New Mexico prior to training. Mind That Bird had never really had a famous horse that you've heard of. And after Mind That Bird, he continues to train on the New Mexico circuit. And when he brought Mind That Bird to the Derby, most of the horses who ship in from out west, they fly in. They come in on a plane, and they come in on a very nice plane. Woolley loaded Mind That Bird into a horse trailer and drove him here, pulling him behind his pickup truck. And not only that, Woolley had a broken leg at the time, so he was driving his truck across country with a broken leg, broken right leg as a matter of fact, and got him here to Churchill Downs for the Kentucky Derby. Woolley's an interesting story, he's an interesting person to talk to, and I will do that when we come back. So stay with me. We'll hear from Chip Woolley in our conversation this is Kentucky Sports Memories. I'm Gary Fogle. I'll see you in just a moment. Hello, I'm Krista Schaus with United Way of Central Kentucky here in Elizabethtown. I just want to Stop for a moment, tell everybody that if you're looking for help at this time, which for a lot of folks that can be food, it might be a, a bill payment, uh, you might need help with medicine, 
What you can do is you can call 211. That's just 211 and it's toll free, it's confidential. What they'll do is they'll ask you what your zip code is and they'll try to navigate resources for you. If that does not work because 211 is not the be all end all of help, please reach out to the United Way office at 270-737-6608. We are working from home, but the phones are routed directly to our cell phones. And so we're able to look through our resource guides and try to help give you further direction. But your first call should be to 211. And if all else fails, once again, the United Way office at 270-737-6608. Thank you. Be well. Down toward the inside, coming on through. That is uh, my that bird now has come on to take the lead as they come down to the finish. That is spectacular, spectacular upset. Mind that bird wins the Kentucky Derby back in 2009 at the odds of 50 to 1. What a magical horse race for him, and it put him on the horse racing map. Also put Chip Woolley on the horse racing map because when you think of famous trainers, you obviously think of Wayne Lucas, Bob Baffert, uh, Steve Asmussen. Those are the big names, but uh, Chip Woolley may not come to mind, but he was the trainer for Mind That Bird. And uh, he still trains in New Mexico. He was born and raised in that state, grew up on a cattle ranch and uh, farmed as a youngster growing up, also rode in the rodeo. And he rode in rodeo competitions in high school and college as a bareback rider. And after he got out of that and got into horse racing as far as a trainer, he stayed in New Mexico where he trained prior to mine that bird and where he trains today. And I talked with him recently just outside his barn where he had just finished up training one morning there in Albuquerque. So let's talk about your training in particular, mine that bird. Have you had a, a really good horse like him prior to him? You know, I've had a couple of really good horses that, you know, a lot of them don't last long. And I had a couple that got hurt that were, really really good horses and then like one we turned a lot of money down for they tried to buy from all over the country and and she ended up getting hurt but but like i mean horses like him don't come along every day especially not out here you know i mean we bought that horse for the sunland derby is what we bought him for we specifically went out we found him bought him to run in in the in the sunland derby was our entire goal really at the time we bought him was the sunland derby well, then when it turned out he had made enough to make it into the Breeders' Cup field, they decided to send him the Breeders' Cup. But that really didn't – none of that was really planned at the time. We were buying a horse to try to win our, our local Sunland Derby, which, you know, I mean, there had already been some really good horses come to Sunland Derby prior to that, and and we were looking for that kind, you know. And So he runs fourth in the Sunland Derby. That's his last prep race prior to the Kentucky Derby. Mm -hmm. Whose idea was it to send him on to the Kentucky Derby? Who said, you know, he might be good enough? Me. And why did you say that? Well, because we, both times he ran at Sunland, 
he he just he didn't get a very good favorable trip he um he made early moves both times i mean one time the first time he was off a four-month layoff and he moves from the five-eighths pole makes the lead and then he just can't hold it i mean and i kept trying to get everybody and on our team my rider my owners everybody to understand that horse needed to be back and set and wait and just move three-eighths of a mile i'm like now that's why you got to coil this horse back and just wait and make one movie. To me, I, I first without a doubt he was the fastest horse I'd ever seen in my lifetime. I mean, if for three eighths of a mile, when you pop the clutch on him, he was faster than anything breathing right there. I mean, that's and I mean I'm not bragging. I mean I'm not saying I'm the smartest guy in the world, but you could see that. And anyway, so he. That was the reason I believed he was that good. And then in in the borderland, he moved early and got a little empty, which it's off a long layoff. It, it stood to reason. But then when we ran him back in the Sunland Derby, the very same thing happened. If you watch the replay, he goes around him and makes the lead. And But he's moved from the 5-8 pole. And that was when I made the decision, or I say I made the decision. I talked to Mark about, I talked to Mark and I told him I want to go to the Derby. I said this horse he he wants to run that far. If you ride him right, he wants to run that far. Well, let's let's talk about you coming to Louisville because most people who ship from out that far away ship usually by plane. And you put him on a horse van, jumped in your pickup truck, and you drove him from New Mexico to Louisville. How long was that trip? No, uh, I went the first day, which part of the reason for us of shipping him that way was you was going to have to haul him to get on a plane you were either going to have to go to dallas or to la because of the flight pattern for for the horse plane so i mean if you're going to have haul him all the way to dallas you might as well haul all the way to louisville it didn't you know it didn't really change things much you know so i just made a decision i'd just haul him and so i left and we were you know we were a little over two weeks early prior to derby you know so i left and i went to went to lone star i had a friend of mine training there at lone star so i went there and i spent the night and then we loped him the next morning there at lone star just jogged him backwards one and and then loaded him up and went on to louisville and it wasn't a bad trip so the thing about it is that you you had a broken foot correct yeah broken leg yeah broken leg and it was your right leg mm-hmm so you had to drive using your left leg for the gas and the brake, I assume. Yes, sir. How was that? Yeah, it's like anything else. You get used to it. <laughs> I don't know if I could. That had to be quite uncomfortable with your left leg crossed over to use the gas. Well, yeah, but it wasn't bad. <laughs> that was quite the trip. Now, you get to the Derby, and... He gets he does get the perfect trip. He gets on the rail and Calvin Burrell keeps him on the rail and every time he needs an opening he gets one and things just fall in place for you. Yeah, he went around one turning for home. You know, he, he had to go around a horse turning for home that was on the fence and he went around him and back to the fence and then got through on the rail and and had the good fortune to win, you know. Were you I mean, I know you knew he had a shot. But were you like, I really can't believe this has happened? Oh, for sure, after after he win. You know, like, I, I thought I could run third or fourth. I mean, I didn't go up there thinking I could win, really. But I I knew 
in my mind, my horse was better than most of them. And, and obviously it turned out to be. You know, a lot of people said after the Kentucky Derby that he's a fluke, uh, that's a one-hit wonder, but yet he comes back in the Preakness and runs second, and he runs third in the Belmont. Oh, no, he was a a super good horse. I mean, he don't get probably not as much credit as he deserved, you know. And, no, he was a really, really, really good horse, and and I don't think he gets near enough credit for that because, you know, from – from Smarty Jones to American Pharaoh, he's the only horse that lit the board in all three. Now, you think about that. That's a big stretch of good horses. So after he runs in the Belmont, he comes back, he runs third in the West Virginia Derby. Then you ship him out to California for the Goodwood Stakes, which I assume, of course, that's at Santa Anita, and the Breeders' Cup is coming up at Santa Anita. I assume you were using that as a prep for the Breeders' yeah. Cup. yeah. And then but, he goes. Then he runs ninth in the Breeders' Cup, and then after that, he's turned over to Wayne Lucas. How did that set with you? Yeah, you know, obviously I wasn't happy about it, but that's all water under the bridge. It's no, it is what it is. You know, that's just the way things are in the racing world sometimes. So, so that's just part of it, I guess. Well, so do you? Do you ever go see him anymore? I mean, oh I know yeah, he's still out there. I see him two, three, four times a year. If I get a chance to get by there anytime I do, if I'm close, I'll make a trip over and visit with him a little bit. And he looks great, doing good. Plus, he'll come. We do we do a few events, you know, uh, fundraisers for various things and, and uh, appearances at, at a few events. When you go visit him, do you does he recognize you? Does he know you? Oh, sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah, he comes straight to me, and he's just, you know, he, we spent a lot of time together. He, I don't expect he's going to forget me. But. Do you still, to this day, I mean, it's been, what, 11 years since you won the Derby. Do you still have a lot of trainers out on that New Mexico circuit come up to you and, and ask you about that whole experience? Oh, yeah, in general, just people in general, maybe not so much the trainers, but people in general, you know. Uh, sure, you know, it's a... Still kind of hard to believe the way it all came together, you know, and and just your good fortune in 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 life for for that to to befall on you, you know, it's a pretty amazing thing. Well, if you ever get another one that that's good, you're gonna you're gonna van that one to Louisville also. No, probably from here. It's probably the <laughs> best way, you know. I got you. Well, very good, Chip. I appreciate your time. Good luck to you out there. Okay, thank you. Chip Woolley talking to me from his barn in Albuquerque where he's racing on the New Mexico circuit. From Albuquerque, he'll go to Hobbs, New Mexico, and then from Hobbs, it's on to Sunland. So that's the circuit out there that he trains on throughout the year. My thanks to him for talking with me. Going to take a break. When I come back, another horse racing story. One of the most famous thoroughbred horses of all time And there are two things, maybe even three things about him that will shock you, surprise you. And two of them in particular, you may not believe. And you'll shake your head in amazement and go, really? That really happened? And it did. And we'll talk about it when we come back. I'm Gary Fogle. This is Kentucky Sports Memories.
When I grow up, I want to be a new pair of blue jeans. When I grow up, I want to be a kid's first computer. When I grow up, I want to be a glass countertop in a new home. When I grow up, I want to be a kid's best birthday present. When I grow up, I want to be a football stadium. When I grow up, I want to be a warm place on a cold day. When I grow up, I want to be a fancy backsplash. I, I want to be a bike that races around the when country. When I grow up, I want to be a bench on a forest when I trail. Grow up, I want to be a rocking chair on when a sunny porch. I want to be a skyscraper. I want to be. 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 When I grow up, I don't want to be a piece of garbage. And if you recycle me, I won't be. Give your garbage another life. Recycle. Learn how at IWantToBeRecycled.org. A public service advertisement brought to you by Keep America Beautiful and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Kentucky Sports Memories. I'm Gary Fogle. Thank you for joining me. And our topic today is horse racing because we are just around the corner from the Kentucky Derby being run on the first Saturday in September. Sounds a little unusual to say, but as you know, a lot of things were unusual this year due to the coronavirus. So with horse racing being the spotlight right now with the Derby coming up, that's why we're doing a horse racing show. We just looked at to mine that bird the huge upset winner of the 2009 Kentucky Derby. Now we're going to go back a century, look at one of the most famous racehorses of all time, and that is Man of War. And I'm sure many of you have heard of Man of War, and many people believe he was a Triple Crown winner. He was not. Many people believe he at least won the Kentucky Derby. He did not. As a matter of fact, he never raced in the Kentucky Derby. He never even raced in Kentucky. He had 21 races in his career, never ran in Kentucky. So why is he so popular in this state? Well, because he was born here, and this state loves thoroughbred horse racing. He had a great career. He died here, and in between all that, he was the father of offspring that did really well on the track. So he was not only a great racehorse, he was able to pass that along to his offspring, and they did tremendously well on the track just like he did. So, Man of War was born back in 1917, and so he started racing in 1919 as a two-year-old, and back then it wasn't unusual for two-year-olds to race quite a bit. These days, if a two-year-old races, I don't know, a really good two-year-old, if he races six times, that's pretty much about the limit anymore, but Man of War as a two-year-old raced 10 times, won nine of the 10, as a matter of fact, that was the only loss he had, that one loss that year. In his career, he had 21 starts, and he had 20 wins. And the only time he didn't win, he ran second. But let's talk about his two-year-old campaign before we talk about that one loss. Begins racing in 1919 at age two. Taking a look at that year, going through my papers here, his first race didn't come until June 6th of 1919. So mid-year... He races for the first time in a maiden race, and he won it by six lengths. Five for a long race, he wins it by six lengths. Three days later, he comes back and races again. He wins that one by three lengths. Twelve days later, he follows that up with a win in the youthful stakes. Then two days after that, 
he wins the Hudson Stakes at Aqueduct Park. So he ran four times and won four times in a span of 18 days in the middle of summer in his two-year-old season back in 1919. Again, for that year, he raced 10 times. He had nine wins. So what was that one loss? Well, the one loss came in the Sanford Memorial Stakes. That was in August, and he lost to a horse by the name of Upset, coincidentally. Man of War, heavy favorite in that race. And back at that time, there were no starting gates. So how they started horses at the beginning of a race is they were circled around and then lined up behind a piece of webbing. They called it a barrier, but it was just a piece of webbing. The webbing was dropped and the horses were sent, or not dropped, but it was raised. The webbing was raised and then the horses took off. So in that race, people say that Man of War was still circling in the back when the webbing was raised and they took off. They didn't have the regular starter. They had a substitute starter. Man of War was still circling, wasn't up, squared up to the webbing when they raised it and all the horses took off. So he is immediately left in everybody else's dust at the very beginning of the race. So now he's got a lot of ground to make up. So he gets into a position where he's trying to gain ground. He gets boxed in by other horses. He tries to get out of trouble, eventually does. Then he gets in behind horses who are tiring. It's kind of like being in a traffic jam on the expressway. You get in behind cars that are going slower. You can't get around. So he has to hold up, wait for an opening to get around them. Finally gets around him, makes his move, and still only loses by a neck to upset in that race. As a matter of fact, Man of War was carrying 15 more pounds than upset. 15 pounds is a huge amount of weight to be carrying more than your uh, more than your competitor, and that's what he was carrying. So that was his only loss in his career. It came as a two-year-old, and you saw the particulars surrounding it that led to that defeat. Had he not gotten the bad break, most likely would have won that race, and he would have remained undefeated for his career. So again, he races 21 times. He wins 20 of them. He runs in all the major stakes races, the big ones, but he didn't run in the Kentucky Derby as a three-year-old. Why not? Well, his owner was from the uh, Baltimore area and lived in Maryland, and he liked to run Man of War in the Northeast around where he was living. That was number one. Number two, he didn't like the idea of running a mile and a quarter at that early of an age as a three-year-old. He thought it was too far of a distance for a three-year-old to have to run that early in his career. So he kept him out of the Kentucky Derby for that reason, did not race him. He did run in the Preakness. He did run in the Belmont. Of course, he won both of those. He won other major stakes races throughout his three-year-old career, set many track records. Um, his numbers, if you look him up, I'm not going to throw all his track records that he set, but they're phenomenal how many he set in his 21 race career. The final race of his career came on October 12, 1920, when he was a three-year-old. We'll talk in a moment about why he didn't race as a four-year-old, but let's talk first about the final race of his career. It was a match race. Him against Sir Barton, and Sir Barton was the Triple Crown winner the year before. So in 1920, Sir Barton is a four-year-old, and Man of War is a three-year-old. Match race against Sir Barton, who was the Triple Crown winner in 1919, back when Man of War was a two-year-old. So I'm going to let you listen to a recording 
of the call of that race, the match race between Man of War and Sir Barton. Here's portions of it. They're off and running. Man of War takes the lead over Sir Barton. As they come around the first turn, it's Man of War leading Sir Barton by a length. Turning into the backstretch, it's Man of War by two lengths and going away. As they come around the far turn and into the stretch, it's Man of War leading Sir Barton by 15 lengths and under a strong hold. And Man of War is an easy winner. Man of War wins that race by 17 lengths and takes six seconds off the track record in that match race against Sir Barton, again, who was the Triple Crown winner from the year before. Let me talk to you about, very quickly, how much weight he carried during his most of his races. More Majority of races back then were run under what they call handicap conditions. Better horses get assigned higher weights. That's, of course, to attempt to equalize the chances of the other horses in the field. As a two-year-old, Man O'War carried 130 pounds in six races. Few racehorses have ever carried that much weight at any age, much less at age two. As a three-year-old, he carried as much as 138 pounds in races, and he conceded as much as 34 pounds to other horses, carrying as much as 34 pounds more than other horses in races as a three-year-old, and he still won them all. That is amazing. So had he raced at age of four, the handicappers would have started him at 140 pounds, and every time they won, he would have, they would have increased the weight. So his owner thought, that's too much. It's too much for him to carry. It's going to either cost him races because he's carrying so much weight, or worse yet, it's going to lead to an injury because you carry too much weight. It's hard on the legs, and it would cause him to break down. So based on that, his owner decided to retire him to stud duty after his three-year-old campaign. And he went on to an outstanding stud career. He sired many talented horses. One of the horses he sired was War Admiral, who went on to win a Triple Crown. And he's also the grandfather of Seabiscuit, also one of the most famous horses in thoroughbred history. So he had not only the great career on the track, but he was also able to pass along that talent to his offspring. I talked with Billy Reed about Man of War. Billy is a longtime sports writer in Kentucky. He's written for the Lexington Herald Leader, the Louisville Courier Journal, Sports Illustrated. He's been writing sports and covering sports for many, many years. And he's covered thoroughbred horse racing extensively, dating back to the 60s. And I talked to him about Man of War and what the appeal he has, even to this day, to the horse racing and American public. You know, there there are similarities, I think, between uh, Man of War and, and Secretariat. Uh, Man of War came along uh, right after World War One. just as Secretariat came along as the Vietnam War was winding down. And those were both times, I think, that America was really looking for a hero. And it turned out to be a racehorse in both cases. Uh, I don't even think Secretariat, although, you know, the media was much uh, larger when he ran, but still, Man of War 
every one of his races was on the radio and every place they would ship him uh, by boxcar. He'd draw huge crowds. He and Babe Ruth uh, probably were uh, our two greatest heroes after World War One. So a lot of fans turned out to watch him ship wherever he was shipping to, but not necessarily got the chance to see him run. Yeah, it's, uh, he, you know, he sold out tracks uh, wherever he ran, but basically his owner, Samuel Riddle, kept him in the East, uh, New York. Uh, he did run in Maryland and Preakness and all that, but, but Riddle thought that, like, uh, Kentucky was just this foreign outpost uh, almost to him, and uh, that's why he didn't send him to the Derby, plus the fact he thought a mile and a quarter was uh, uh, too much for a a three-year-old to handle, you know, at that time of the year. Earlier in the show, I said there are two or three things about Man of War that would amaze you. One of them I've revealed is the fact that he never raced in Kentucky. Most people think he did, but he didn't. But that's not the big one. The other two are more, to me, are more amazing than the fact he never raced in Kentucky. And what are those? Well, I'll reveal them in just a moment after we take a break. So stay with me. I'm Gary Fogle. This is Kentucky Sports Memories. Krista Schaus with United Way of Central Kentucky here in Elizabethtown. I just want to stop for a moment, tell everybody that if you're looking for help at this time, which for a lot of folks that can be food, it might be a a bill payment, uh, you might need help with medicine, what you can do is you can call 211. That's just 211 and it's toll free, it's confidential. What they'll do is they'll ask you what your zip code is and they'll try to navigate resources for you. If that does not work because 211 is not the be all end all of help, please reach out to the United Way office at 270-737-6608. We are working from home, but the phones are routed directly to our cell phones. And so we're able to look through our resource guides and try to help give you further direction. But your first call should be to 211 And if all else fails, once again, the United Way office at 270-737-6608. Thank you. Be well. Welcome back to Kentucky Sports Memories. I'm Gary Fogle. Thank you for joining me. And today we're talking horse racing because Kentucky Derby is coming up on September 5th, just around the corner. So I thought we would talk horse racing today. And right now we're talking about Man of War, the great Man of War, one of the greatest thoroughbreds of all time. He never raced the Kentucky Derby, never raced in Kentucky. Although he's revered here, he never raced in this state. He retired to stud duty here, and he spent a long career as a stud. Retired from stud duty at age 26, lived four more years, 
and he passed away in November of 1947 at the age of 30. It's interesting, he passed away very shortly after his longtime groom, with whom he had a very close bond. A lot of people think the agony he was going through from his groom no longer being around is what caused him to have a heart attack and die. But he died at the age of 30, 1947. And I mentioned that I was going to reveal the other mind-boggling, interesting facts about Man of War. Well, here's the first of two. When he passed away, he was placed in an open casket, and they had public viewing. I've never known that to ever happen before or since, but they built a horse coffin, and it was open to the public for people to walk by and view him laying in his casket. That's amazing. And you can check that out by just going to the internet. You go to Google, type in Man O War Death. Four words, Man O War Death. And then when that comes up, click on Images, and the pictures will come up of people walking by viewing him in his casket. I found that absolutely unbelievable. I talked with Billy Reed, longtime sports writer, in the last segment. So in continuing our conversation, I asked him, what he thought about the fact that Man of War had an open casket and the public came by to view him to pay their last respects. Well, now that's a little much, don't you think? I mean, that, <laughs> that's not where I think I would draw the line. <laughs> but people turned out for it. Oh, sure. They, uh, yeah, well, people being people will turn out for a lot of things. But, uh, yeah, that, I, I thought that was a bit much. You know, the big sports in America at that time were uh, college football, boxing, baseball, and horse racing. And horse racing had never seen a, uh, a hero quite like him. It, it's, uh, it, it, it's hard to imagine today, but I think it's just an indication of what a hero he was with the public. Okay, so there's the first reveal of what I thought was amazing was he had a public viewing, open casket, where people came by and paid their respects. That was number one. After that, he was buried at Faraway Farm there in Lexington, and his funeral was carried on the radio, not on local radio, but national radio. NBC carried his funeral on national radio all across the country. <laughs> that, that is mind-boggling, something that you would never see happen again. I want to let you hear a few bits and pieces of that funeral broadcast. Let's start with the NBC announcer. Our microphone is located at the grave at Faraway Farm, where the mighty runner and sire lived most of his 30 years prior to his death last Saturday. The master of ceremonies for the burial services is Mr. Ira Dryman, well-known Kentucky horse breeder and farmer. Here now is Mr. Dryman. Ladies and gentlemen, we are gathered here today to pay tribute to a great soldier, one whose influence was felt by all groups and all peoples around the world. I would like, however, to think of this not as a funeral in the usual sense, but as a celebration an expression of our appreciation for the long life 
and the very useful life man of war gave to this community, to the state of Kentucky, and to the horse industry in this country. Now, there were several speakers at the funeral. One of them was J.A. Estes. He was a writer for Blood Horse magazine. It hardly seems necessary to remark that in all the history of thoroughbred breeding, the greatest story is that of man of war. I've written it uh, laboriously in the last few days. I have had to stop once in a while and brush away a tear. Now, that may sound silly, but it happens. I'm sure it's happened to a good many of you. There was something more than a horse about this horse, and people became extremely fond of him. I have never been able to account for that. I only see it happening time and time again. Okay, not done yet. Here are a few more comments from Master of Ceremonies, Ira Drymond. Churchill Downs and other racetracks at this time are lowering the flag, asking the people to stand in silent tribute while taps are played. And we have word, and I quote, 3,000 soldiers of the U.S. Army's 1st Cavalry Division will present arms in Tokyo Thursday evening while taps are blown in a military memorial service for man of war who was made an honorary colonel of this division last March during a recruiting drive. Again, this is November 1947, Man of War's funeral being carried live nationally on NBC radio. Several speakers spoke that day. You only heard from a couple, two or three. And, uh, of course, the funeral ended with taps being played. Man of War, 20 of 21 in his racing career. The only time he lost, he finished second, beating a neck. One of the great racehorses of all time, and he was also an outstanding sire of racehorses. He died at the age of 30 in 1947. His funeral carried live on NBC Radio. That'll do it for the show this week. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed it. And as always, you can reach out to me if you have story ideas, show ideas. Go to my website, KentuckySportsMemories.com. Click on the contact link and reach out via email, Twitter, whatever way is best for you. Get in touch and send me your story ideas, things you think I should be talking about. Also, before I get away, I would like to once again say thanks to Chip Woolley was training on the New Mexico circuit before he ever got Mind That Bird. And after Mind That Bird, he's remained there training at those tracks, traveling around the state of New Mexico, trying to win horse races. They're not the big money purses like you see in California or Kentucky or New York, places like that. But he's uh, been toiling away and has about 30 horses in training right now and staying at it, keeping his nose to the grindstone. Chip Woolley, an old rodeo cowboy who uh, made his living 
and made his name known with Mind That Bird back when he won the Derby in 2009. And once again, my thanks to Billy Ree for taking time to talk with me. Billy, an expert on thoroughbred horse racing. So I greatly appreciate him taking time out to talk with me and offer his insight into the great man of war. Again, that'll do it for the show this week. I'm back next week with a brand new show. I certainly hope you'll take time out to visit with me then. Until that time, I'm Gary Fogle, and you've been listening to Kentucky Sports Memories. When I grow up, I want to be a new pair of blue jeans. When I grow up, I want to be a kid's first computer. When I grow up, I want to be a glass countertop in a new home. When I grow up, I want to be a kid's best birthday present. When I grow up, I want to be a football stadium. When I grow up, I want to be a warm place on a cold day. When I grow up, I want to be a fancy backsplash. I want to be a bike that races around the when country. When I grow up, I want to be a bench on a forest when I grow trail. Up, I want to be a rocking chair on when a sunny port. I want to be a skyscraper. I want to be. 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 When I grow up, I don't want to be a piece of garbage. And if you recycle me, I won't be. Give your garbage another life. Recycle. Learn how at IWantToBeRecycled.org. A public service advertisement brought to you by Keep America Beautiful and the Ad Council.